You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Morning. All right, so if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to turn it to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Uh, If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, I encourage you to take that Black Pew Bible there right in front of you. You can open that up, turn it to page 953. You'll be able to follow along as we uh, walk through our portion of Scripture today. Um, We believe here at Grace that not only is it valuable for you just to be able to listen, but you'd be able to to read God's Word for yourself. And so we'd encourage you again to, however way you want to do it, um, to have our portion of Scripture in front of you today. So we are six weeks into our series in 1 Corinthians called Messy, Beautiful Church. Listen, there's no doubt, if you've been around church at all, church has its issues. It can be a messy, messy place. And Paul writes this letter to a church that, yes, has a lot of issues, that they have things that Paul has already addressed and will continue to address. But the beautiful thing about this letter is that it is a reminder That when God's people submit to God's design for how church should be run, how we should relate to each other, when we submit to God's design and when when we are dependent upon God's power, the church can be a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be transformed by the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So that is Paul's desire as he writes this. That's Paul's heart. That, That the hearers, the original hearers in the city of Corinth and us today, that we would be transformed so that when people look at us, how we, how we relate to each other, how we worship together, how we serve together, that they would notice that there's something different. And that difference isn't just a set of skills or different abilities. That difference is that we have lives that have been impacted and transformed by the good news of Jesus. And so I'm excited to be able to open up chapter 3 with you today. And it really is just an extension of something that Paul brought up already in chapter 1. Uh, kind of just the way that our sermon, uh, the preaching schedule, uh, rolled out. Uh, the, the second message that, that, that I preached on in this, in this book uh, focused on division. Division within the church. And Paul picks up that argument, that conversation really, here in chapter 3. But I want to go back to chapter 1, verse 10, just to kind of lay the foundation before we move forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. See, what was going on at Corinth is something that happens in, in a lot of different churches. So the, the Corinthian church was divided over um, who their favorite Christian leader or pastor was. So in, in that church, um, they had four kind of people that kind of, or people were segmented into different groups. Some people said, I follow Paul. Now, Paul was the one who founded the church. Paul was the one who spent 18 months of his life in the city of Corinth sharing the good news of the gospel and then, and then helping them along in their Christian faith. He was a founder of that church there in Corinth. So some people were just like, hey, that's my guy. That's the one that I got saved under. That's the one that I grew spiritually under. I appreciate the work that he did. And so I follow Paul. Some people said, I follow Apollos. 
Uh, Apollos was the guy that came in after Paul. Now, Apollos had a really, really uh, interesting skill set. He was, he was an awesome preacher. He was a good debater. Um, people felt like when they listened to his messages that they got smarter, that they, that they learned some things. And so some people were like, hey, yeah, you follow Paul, that's cool. Apollos is my guy. I learn under his teaching. He, he, he was there with me um, whenever my family went through a hardship or trial. Apollos is the guy that we, should, that we should be following. And some people said, hey, I follow Peter. These are probably the Jewish Christians that felt like they had lost a little bit of their Jewish heritage being, being involved in a church that was mostly Gentile. And so they're like, I wish Peter could just come and tell these Gentile believers how to worship God. And then other, some people are like, I'm sick of all of you guys and all of your fighting. I'm just following Jesus. And, and they said, and so they're the super spiritual ones. They don't want to align themselves with any earthly guy, but we just follow Jesus. That, that, that's all we want to do. Today in chapter 3, Paul begins to dig a little bit deeper into this conversation about division over leadership. And we're going to focus today on the danger of that division. So in chapter 1, Paul kind of, kind of builds the argument and says, listen, this is the cause of your division. You're fighting over Christian pastors. And again, this happens, this happens often, um, especially on, on, on a pastoral team with different leaders, with different skill sets. And listen, I said it six weeks ago. I'll say it again. One, I'm not targeting anyone today. I'm not. Uh, I had some conversations after the last message. Like, was that, was that toward me? Were you, like, yelling at me? Like, no, no, none of that. I have no one in mind. I'm not taking a list of names on who I'm going to look at. I'm not trying to make eye contact with anyone. Believe me, I look, at, I look over all of your heads anyway. So that's not, that's not it. Uh, I get crazy nervous up here. I'm looking at that clock back there, and everyone's over your head. But no, I'm, we're not taking names. We didn't gather as a pastoral team and say, this is for this guy or this lady. We're not doing that. But Paul, what Paul does, he understands that, listen, people will naturally gravitate towards certain people. They connect differently. Some of you guys connect with Pastor Mike. Some of you connect with me. Some of you connect with Pastor Dan. That's all fine. There's nothing wrong with gravitating toward one leader. The problem is, is that when we start dividing over those different leaders and start putting people down because they don't like the same guy that you like. That's where the problem comes. So Paul in chapter 3, what he does, he begins, he says, listen, I talked about the, we built the cause for division. You guys are divided over leaders. Today he's going to talk about the consequences. What actually happens? What, what is so dangerous when division comes within the, within the church? And in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 9, we see that division does two things. First, division stunts our growth. And secondly, division steals God's glory. And listen, when we, we're going to dig into this text. Uh, before we do, let's, let's pray one more time and ask God's blessing as we dig into his word today. God, I thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, your kindness in giving us your word so that it could confront our sinful hearts, that it can point us back to Jesus. And God, it instructs us in how we should live our lives. Lord, this passage was one that I needed to hear. And God, I pray, Lord, that as I work as your messenger today, that your spirit would do the heavy lifting of changing people's hearts something that only, 
only you can do. So God, give us, give us a good time in your word. Enlighten our eyes to the things that you want us to see. Uh, God, give us courage, Lord, to make the changes, Lord, that you're going to ask us to make. But overall, God, I pray, Lord, that we would see your son Jesus um, as he is right now in heaven. God, high and lifted up and worthy to be praised and worshipped above everything else. We love you, God. Thank you, God, for this time today. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, church, I want to begin by, by reading the first four verses, and then we're going to break down and see what, what God, ha- God has for us today. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Church, in these Four verses. The thing that the thing that Paul brings out is that division stunts our growth. That this fighting amongst amongst the church about who they're going to follow. I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or whoever it may be. The first thing that division does, the first consequence division has upon a church body, is that it stunts our growth. See, with any child, there is this natural expectation for them to grow. So last week, um, I, I explained to our kids, we were kind of having just like a family huddle and meeting. I said, kids, like our goal, my wife Melanie and I, our goal as, a, as parents is for you to someday become an adult, leave the house, get a job, um, Lord willing, get married and raise a family. So I'm, I'm just laying out the expectations. There will be a time when you will not be with us any longer. I want my wife back. I want some time. You guys are going. And right now we're, we're like in like the whole thick of it. I get it. We're loving that. But our four-year-old son, Caleb, he's hearing this. And like he was like laying down. He shot up and he says, Dad, like now? Like tomorrow? He was so, so worried. It's like, no, in, in time. Be like, but things are kind of tough. Groceries are getting more expensive, kid. You're not in school yet. You should go get a job. I'm just kidding. But... We have this expectation. Kids should grow up. You see a baby playing in a, playing in a sandbox. Like, That's a cute baby playing in that sand. You see a 25-year-old in that same sandbox. That's creepy. That's not cute anymore. We have the expectation for them to grow. And listen, Paul had that same expectation upon the Corinthian church. Listen, it had been at least three years since Paul had spent 18 months with, with the Corinthian believers, and by this time, he had expected them to grow. He had thought that they would mature in their faith. He expected them to be controlled, not by their fleshly desires, the, the, but, by, but by the Holy Spirit, that they would be led by the Spirit of God. Paul expected them to know the truths of God's Word and actively apply it to their lives. He thought that they would have loved to learn to love one another by this point, to get along with one another, to put their petty differences and opinions aside, but they hadn't. And he says in verse 1, he says, I wanted to address you as spiritual people, 
as people that are mature in the faith, as people that, that know and do God's word, but I couldn't because you are still of the flesh. You are still living by the desires of your, of, of, of your fleshly, carnal spirit instead of allowing the word of God and the spirit of God to change your life. And so he said, you know, I wanted to write and, and address these deeper spiritual things with you. He's like, I didn't want to be talking about this stuff. But he said, I couldn't. I had to go back and readdress the things that you needed to hear most. So he said, for 18 months, I fed you with milk. Why? Because you were baby Christians. Um, you, don't, you, don't, you, know, you don't have a, you know, a six-month-old and, and put, a, put a steak in front of them because, no, that doesn't work that way. You, you feed them with milk. And Paul says, listen, I wanted to feed you solid food, but you're not ready for it yet, and you're still not ready for it. And what we see here is that, again, division keeps us as spiritual infants. Division keeps us from not maturing in our faith. And you may be thinking today, well, it sounds like we've already seen it already, and we'll see it, we'll see it again. The Corinthians, not that the, the Corinthians didn't know things. Paul actually says in, in his opening prayer, I thank God for what he's given to you, for the giftedness um, that he has given to the church. It wasn't that they didn't know the word of God. It wasn't that Paul didn't teach them those things. But it was that they hadn't applied it to their lives. And the reason why I think that so many Christians never mature in their faith is that they never practice what they already know from God's word. John 14, 21, this is Jesus talking. And he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what, what Jesus is saying here is that this is how we grow. This is how we grow and mature in our faith. That we take what we know from Scripture, we apply it to our lives. When we keep God's commandments, when we actually do them, Jesus promises something. He says, when we submit to God, Jesus shows up. He says, when we obey what God has already called us to obey, Jesus promises, I will love him and manifest myself to him. See, we grow in a deeper relationship with God when we obey God's word. Jesus shows up. He, we deepen our walk with him, and then you know what happens again? He shows us some things. We obey God's word. He manifests himself, and that cycle just goes over and over and over again. This is how we deepen our walk with God, by simple obedience. And when we submit to God's word, Jesus shows up. And the fact of the matter was is that the Corinthians knew what to do. The Corinthians knew that they should have gotten along with each other, but they hadn't. He says, this is why you are weak and immature in your faith, because you don't obey what you already know to be true. And church, I firmly believe, I've seen this in my own life, you will not go any further in your faith until you pass the test that God has for you right now. I am a stubborn, stubborn guy. And for years, God was giving me the same test over and over and over again. And I kept failing it. I kept saying, God, I don't trust you in this area of my life. And so I'm, I'm going to do my thing and not obey your commands. 
And until I finally gave in and said, God, I finally, I, I submit to your way. I want to do things your way. I want to obey your commandments. That's when my spiritual walk moved, moved further ahead and progressed. And church, until you pass the test in front of you, you are going to stay immature in your faith, whatever that test may be for you. And I don't know what that test is for you, but I think you do. Whatever that thing is that God is calling your heart to do, that God is bringing conviction in your life, that's that test for you. And until you say yes, you're not going to move forward in your faith, just as the Corinthians had done. And so the division for them kept them as spiritual infants. But there's something else. There's another consequence that stunted their growth. Verses 3 and 4 says, Division loses our spiritual influence. Verses 3 and 4, it says again, it says, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and, I, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, I don't want you to read this as, oh, well, everyone's human. Like, no, that's not what Paul is getting at here. That word human there means, means fleshly. It means people, it means decisions and, and actions of those who do not know Jesus, who are unregenerate, who have not accepted the gospel into their lives. So he says, when you are divided as a church over your leaders, aren't you acting like the rest of the world? Aren't you acting like someone who doesn't know Jesus? And I love what Paul does here at the beginning, in, back in verse 1. He addresses them as brothers. See, this isn't like a positional thing for them where Paul is saying, I don't think you're a Christian. No, Paul, Paul affirms it three verses before. Paul isn't questioning their salvation. But Paul is saying, I'm questioning whether or not you're acting like a Christian. If Paul affirmed them as believers, we should affirm them as believers as well. And believe me, there is way more. You, you get to chapters 5 and 6, and you, you start reading that and questioning, are these people really believers? Paul said they were, but they're doing some crazy stuff. But when the church acts that way, they're, they're no different than the world. And one of the dangers that happens here is that, again, we, we lose our spiritual influence with the world around us. When an unbeliever comes into our worship service and they hear groans when someone comes to the pulpit, and that doesn't happen here, I'm just saying. We see glances and people look at their watches, I get it, but we don't hear that. But when people see that response from the church, we lose our spiritual influence. When people and unbelievers hear us put down other leaders behind their backs, or they witness division over personal preferences and leadership styles, they won't return. See, because they see the same type of dysfunction and disunity everywhere else. They see people taken advantage of at work. They experience cliques among their friends. Um, they, they've been to Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners with their family and see everything that happens there. They see disunity and division all over the place. And friends, and if people see us behaving the same way, we lose all credibility and spiritual influence in their lives. 
Friends, we are the blood-bought children of God. And the world deserves better from us. Our Heavenly Father deserves better from us. And our Savior deserves better from us. When we are divided, we lose the spiritual influence in that person's lives because they're, they're saying, why would I go to a people that have the same problems I do? And they treat their leaders the same exact way, and they're divided the same exact way. So division stunts our growth. It keeps us the spiritual infants. And it loses our spiritual influence. But there's another consequence of division I want to point out. And that simply is this, is that division steals God's glory. Church, this is a big one. All throughout Scripture, we, we see Psalms, we see portions of the Old Testament where Jesus says, I am a, God says, I am a jealous God. I will not, I will not give my glory up for another. But when we divide over different leaders, when we put them up on a pedestal, we are, we are stealing glory that only belongs to God. I'm going to show you that, verses 5 through 9. So let's read. So Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he nor he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants are one, and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let me just break this down for, us, for you for a moment. I want to show you there's two ways that division steals God's glory. The first is found in verse 5, where we believe that our leaders are saviors instead of servants. We believe that our leaders are saviors instead of servants. See, what happens when we divide over leadership is that we, are, we give glory to our pastors that belongs only to God. We place them on a pedestal that only Jesus belongs upon as, as the chief shepherd. See, one of the dangers that division brings is that it causes us to view our leaders in an improper and unhealthy way. Now listen, God has, God has blessed our church with some amazing pastors and leaders, and we're so thankful for that. Listen, Pastor Mike has this amazing ability to lead people and inspire them to pursue Jesus with all that they have. Pastor Dan has this awesome heart of a disciple, and we saw that. A few weeks ago, when we had baptism, with so many of those teenagers coming, making a public profession of their faith. Uh, we have elders who are wise and, and have so much integrity. And believe me, as, as three young guys, like we may have all these crazy ideas and a bunch of energy, but like we need a good group of elders to be like, hey, did you really think about that? Or should we like rein that in a little bit? Like there's so much wisdom there that, that we have leaned on over these past six or seven years now. Uh, we, have, we have ladies who lead our women's ministry so well um, to, lead, to, lead, uh, to lead you ladies into, into faithfully serving and loving your families and reaching out uh, with the good news of Jesus. God has blessed us with some awesome leaders here. But there is one thing that we need, that we need to remember, that none of these leaders are your Savior. Only Jesus is. 
that none of the stuff that, that is going on right now at Grace is because of us, as we'll see in a moment. But some of us have this unhealthy view of, of pastors and leaders that, that you're it. And God brought, brought the, the pastoral team here to save our church. And Paul says something really incredible in verse 5. Super humbling, but something that I needed to hear. Where he says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants for whom you believed as a Lord assigned to each. See, Paul states that him and Apollos, the two pastoral leaders in that church so far, they're not saviors, they're servants. The word literally is table waiter. Someone that brings the food. They are not honored guests. They're not at the head of the table. They didn't prepare the food. They don't even own the house. They are literally the ones who wait on the table. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a statue of a waiter or a busboy anywhere. They don't exist. You know why? Because they're really insignificant. Like, they, people don't be like, oh, you're a, you're a busboy? Oh, my word. How many years of school did that take? Like, you're a server? Like, how long did, did it take you to get that job? No one says that. And listen, it's so it's in, incredible for me to, to still be in that restaurant world a little bit and still serve a little bit at the Olive Garden. I was telling, I was telling my, my, my wife Mel today, it's crazy. Like, on Mother's Day, it was like an all-hands-on-deck day. Everyone was at the Olive Garden, um, the whole staff. So, like, I literally preached Mother's Day and then went and served lunch and bringing food out to people. I was like, it's such a crazy paradox in my mind. It's such a good reminder. Like, Dave, you're nothing. And, and, and Paul says this. He says, I'm literally a servant. I'm the one bringing the food. Every time someone comes up behind the pulpit, literally you should start, hi, my name is Dave. I'm going to be waiting on you today. Can I, can I take your order? That's how it should start. That, that should be the mindset coming in. Every time we stand behind the pulpit, every time we lead a small group, every time we offer counsel for any leader, not, not, not just as pastors, we are literally there to bring the food of God's word. To the people that God has assigned to us, that's our job. Leaders, that's your job. You're not the means, I mean, you're not the cause of salvation. You are the means. You are the conduit that God is working in. But remember, you are a servant. You are not their savior. And personally, that takes so much weight off of us as leaders. Because a lot of leaders do think, I, I am the savior of this church. And they have this mindset, I came in to, to, to build this church back up, or I came in to, to bring people back to the truth, whatever it may be. And this is such a good reminder saying, no, 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 you're a servant. Remember that. You are here to serve others, to bring the good news of the gospel and God's word to the people that God has assigned you to. That is your job. So the second thing that division does is that we believe that change comes from our hard work instead of God's hand. Verses, again, 6, 6 and 7. It says, listen, Paul said, I planted Apollos watered. There were different jobs, but, but he said, but 
but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. They're on the same level. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now listen, this doesn't negate the facts that we are called to labor and work for the Lord. Don't say this and say like, hey, I'm here. And if God does all the work, I have to do nothing. It's all God anyway. Paul isn't saying that, but Paul says, listen, you need to recognize that that the only growth, only spiritual growth that comes isn't going to come because of you. It's going to come because God gave the growth. It's going to come from God's hand, not our hard work. We are tempted, and you may, we may be tempted as a church. Every time we see God work, every time we see someone come to faith in Jesus, every time we see baptisms, every time that we have a really just powerful weekend here, you may think, man, pastors work really hard on that message. That's why people came forward. Every time we see people take steps of faith, you may think, man, you think of the hours of discipleship and mentoring that happened, and you think that's why that person is, is taking their next steps and following after Jesus. And the list may go on and on and on. But Paul reminds us, listen, real change doesn't happen because of us. Real change happens, happens because God moved in that person's hearts and did something that only he could do. I'm not going to say that I know a lot about farming. I know very little. I don't even, we don't even have a garden. That's like, we don't, we, I do nothing with plants. But I do know this, is that farmers work extremely hard at getting the soil ready, at planting the seed, of doing all that they can to make things grow. But you know what? At the end of the, at the, end of the day, who makes those plants grow? God does. They could have the perfect situation, the perfect scenario. Everything could be right. Everything is timed out properly, rain, everything. But at the end of the day, God is the one that causes those crops to grow. And church, we can have an awesome strategy. We could have an amazing worship team. We can have an awesome kids program where our life groups can be packed out. But at the end of the day, we can prepare for rain, but God's the one who brings the rain. God gives the growth. God gives the increase. And when we divide over leaders and we think that the leaders are the ones that move people forward, we are greatly mistaken. God is the one that gives the growth. So as a church, we continue to serve and live for the kingdom of God. We serve with boldness and zeal. Yet in the midst of our serving, let us rely on the Lord and understand that change will only come from his hand, not our hard work. So we pray, we plead, and we ask God to bring the growth that only he can bring. So we rely on him and his strength. And we've said it before from the pulpit. I don't even know where this came from. It literally came to me this morning. So whoever this is quoted from, it's not from me. I just forget who it is. But it says, listen, work as if it all depends on you. But pray as if it all depends on God. And it does. God is the one that gives the increase. So listen, 
How do we move forward? How do we protect our church from being so divided? I want to, I want to bring you two things. I want to bring you to the end of the passage. And for those of you who are like, hey, well, we're skipping like 10 to 17. We are. I'm going to talk about that next week. Uh, but I want to bring you to two imperatives that we see in verses 18 through 23. This is how we protect against division. The first thing is that we, we, need, we need to remember who you are. Leaders, this is for you. Anyone who has any sort of, of, of leadership position where people are looking to you, remember this. Remember who you are. Verse, beginning of verse 18 says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in his own age, in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. Hey, Dave, where in the world did you get remember who you are out of those verses? Those first, that first phrase, do not be deceived. As friends, when you serve, and especially when you lead well, you will be tempted to believe the lies of this world, that you are more than you are. The world will tell you that it's your intellect, it's your hard work, it's your communication style, whatever it may be. It's your sacrifice that has brought about change. The world will say that you deserve the accolades and the praise of other people. They say this is what you've worked towards. Paul's saying, listen, don't be deceived by that. Don't take the bait of people telling you, uh, try, trying to make you believe more than you really are. Remember who you are. And Paul says, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, for, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Paul says, remember, you are servants. You are table waiters. You are literally bringing the food of God's word to the people that God has entrusted you with. That is all you are. Now, are they important? Yes. Man, it's really hard, like, as a pastor to, like, preach this portion. I'm like, man, people are going to treat me like garbage now. Like, you're just a server. You're a waiter. There's other portions that talk otherwise. But Paul says, listen, don't be too big for your britches. Remember who you are. You are a servant. So when the world tries to tell you, and you're doing a really great job. Like, you need that promotion. And the world tells you, you're still at that church? Shouldn't you be going somewhere else and taking the step up? I don't know. You're servants. Stay where God has planted you and serve there well. So remember who you are. Not too high, but then not too low either. You're a servant of God, and he's given you a mission to do. And for the rest of us, Paul gives this Imperative in verses 21 through 23. It says, boast in the blessings of Christ. Verse 21, he says, so let, so, let no, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Again, what in the world, Paul, are you talking about? But Paul's bringing them something here. He's like, listen, I want you to remember what blessings you do have and where they came from. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Christ Jesus. 
Church, any blessing that we have has come from above, not from our leaders here. When God blesses us with good leaders, it can be tempting to find our salvation and security in what they bring, not in Christ's blessings. And while we appreciate the human leaders that God has given to our churches, when you put them up against Jesus, they pale in comparison. Think about this. Only Jesus gave up his life for you. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can forgive your sins. Only Jesus will walk with you through every trial and hardship. Yeah, we want to be there as pastors. And, and typically we, we are there. But only Jesus walks with you all the time. Only Jesus is preparing a home for you in heaven right now. Good thing he's a carpenter. Knows what he's doing. You don't want a house built by me. That would be terrible. I know nothing when it comes to that stuff. Only Jesus one day is going to call you home to be with him. And only Jesus, the only voice that matters, will tell you, well done, good and faithful servant, if you've loved and served him well here on this earth. You're not going to get to heaven someday and stand before Mike, Dan, and I. You're not. I'm going to be right there with you, side by side. You're going to stand before Jesus. He is the only voice that matters. So we boast, not in the blessings of any one leader, we boast in what Jesus has done and the blessings he has given us. So as we wrap this up, I want to call the praise team and the prayer team forward today. And as we do, I want to close with the same verse that we started with today. 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Church, God has done a work within our church family over the past 10 years. Listen, I came on the back end of some really hard times here at Grace. We've experienced heartache and conflict over division and divisions over leadership in the past. Much of what Paul experienced here went on within our church. But let's move forward. Let's continue to fight for unity. Let's live for the kingdom of God. Let's protect from the, from the danger division brings. We probably, we probably don't say this enough, but we love you guys. And we love serving here with you. So it's our prayer that God would continue to bring a harvest of spiritual growth I'm here at Grace. And we pray that he's going to get all, of, all of, of the glory for it. Because he's the only one worthy to be worshipped and bragged on and boasted about. So guys, I'm going to ask you to stand. Let me pray over you. And then we're going to close by singing uh, one more song. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for this portion. And yeah, it's hard. And yeah, I wrestled with it a lot. And yes, God, it is easy for us to find our hope, our security, 
our, our boasting God in, in what you're doing here and in our leadership God and everything else. But God, I pray, Lord, that we would just see, catch a, catch a glimpse of who you are. Catch a glimpse, God, that you, Father, are high and lifted up, being worshipped by myriads and myriads of angels. And you alone are worthy of our praise, God, worthy of our boasting, worthy of our security. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you would protect this place. Protect it from division, God. May quarreling and jealousy and strife and conflict be far away from here. May we be of the same mind and of the same judgment, Father, that no matter who is behind the pulpit, no matter who is leading a ministry, no matter who you put in after us, Lord, that this would be a place where we are unified in the gospel of Jesus. We trust in that and that alone as a hope for this world, not in our tactics, not in our strategies. But God, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who are striving together for the good news of Jesus Christ. God, humble us. Keep us reliant, God, upon your power and dependent, God, upon your plan. God, and may you bring a spiritual harvest here. And may we give you all the honor and glory for it. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, for he's worthy. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.